0: welcome to the weekend university podcast and this is your host Niall McKeever the weekend university was set up to make the best psychology lectures available to the general public to do this we organized lecture days where attendees get a full day of talks from leading psychologists authors and university professors if you'd be interested in getting early access to our latest psychology lectures and discounts on our live events you can sign up for the early access list at theweekenduniversity.com forward slash podcast. That's theweekenduniversity.com forward slash podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Juliette Adams. Juliet is the director of Ahead for Work. She specializes in leadership and workplace productivity, helping individuals and their organizations thrive in times of change and uncertainty. She is a major driving force for mindfulness in the workplace internationally, recently delivering workshops and keynotes in the UK, the Netherlands, the USA, and China. Juliette has been working in the field of leadership and organizational development for the last 25 years. Her unique approach is based on the latest neuroscience, leadership, and intention research findings. This interview focuses on Juliette's most recent book, Intention Matters, which covers the science underpinning intention, how it is a cognitive skill that can be learned, and how to use it to create your ideal future. You can learn more about Juliet's work at www.aheadforwork.com and you can learn more about the book at www.intention-matters.com. Okay, Juliet, uh, welcome to the show. So, for anybody that doesn't know you, could you just tell us a bit more about your background and, and the work you do?
1: Yes, certainly. I guess my formal background is corporate planning and development. Uh, I have a master's in training and training design, uh, but really my work centers around leadership with a particular specialism in workplace mindfulness, purpose and intention.
0: Very cool. And so you've, you've wrote a book at the minute called uh, Intention Matters. Um, I just asked. I wanted to ask why you wrote this book, Juliet, and what was your what was your intention for writing it?
1: <laughs> Good question. Um, well, about ten years ago, I sort of had the thought that actually intention underpins pretty much everything that we do. Um, fuzzy or unclear intentions cause us to drift through life or become dissatisfied with the life that we're living, whereas clear intentions create powerful momentum in our life and everyone can benefit from the power of intention and the possibilities are completely limitless. It's a resource that's freely available as long as you know how to use it. So um, I felt that intention was something that was um, misunderstood and overlooked and needed a little bit of a scientific take on it and systemizing so that more people would engage with it.
0: Very interesting. Now, what's your definition of intention?
1: So there are lots and lots of definitions of intention, but for the purpose of intention matters, I define an intention as a deep, sincere desire underpinned by a belief that it's possible.
0: Now, now I've never heard it, heard it put like that before. So what exactly, how would you describe uh, a deep, sincere desire to someone? What 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 does that mean?
1: So a deep, sincere desire is something that's heartfelt. So it's something that you really, really want. In fact, I initially wrote into my book, really, really want. And then my copy editor said, you can't say that. You sound like the Spice Girls. (laughs) But it's something that you want at a heartfelt level. It's your strongest wish it's something that literally makes your heart sing it's palpable in every fiber of your body as opposed to a superficial want of i want that pair of shoes or that handbag or that particular car which can come and pass so it's, this is something that's quite deep within you that you really want
0: and how can people tell the difference between a deep sincere desire and something that's just a passing want because i think you give some exercises for that in the book
1: yeah so um often the culture in which we live in makes us think that we need things that in reality we don't or we can't afford or don't make us happy and we get sucked into this mentality of wanting what others want and what others tell us is necessary for our happiness so one of the gauges that i like to use is if you only had six months left to live what would you do differently what would be important to you that's often a good um, wish. And now, I guess, in this age of <laughs> coronavirus, when a lot of the niceties and these superficial wants are being stripped away because we can't, we can't get to them or we can't afford it, you know, what's actually really important in this moment?
0: That's a great question. You know, If you had six, six months left to live, um, what would you go after? What would you do? I think that can help you get really clear on your values. Mm-hmm. Now, the second part of that definition centres around belief. And yep. how important are beliefs in in setting intentions? And how can people how can people um develop more empowering beliefs that support them towards achieving their intentions, and also remove negative limiting beliefs that are that might be holding them back?
1: So I guess I I uh, don't really think of it in these terms. So let me unpick that a little, if I may. Um, so when I talk about a belief, the type of belief I'm talking about initially is a belief that it's possible. So often people will have self-limiting beliefs. So you might say, um, I want, you know, you're 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 just out of university, you've got no work experience. I'd like to instantly have a job where I earn 100k. And you might have a deep sincere desire that you want a job for 100k. But something within you will say, oh, but they're not going to pick me. I'm not going to get it. Maybe if you're lucky, you might think absolutely. But for most people, I would imagine in that situation, you'll think, oh, no, actually, I don't quite believe that's possible. And so the type of belief that I'm talking about here is you have to have some form of a belief that it's possible. So if you started, for argument's sake, with this premise of wanting the 100k job, if you then scale it back and say, well, you know, do I want a 50k job? How does that feel? Does that feel as if it might be possible? It doesn't matter how, let go of the how and micromanaging. It's that belief that in some way, shape or form, it's going to be possible. So, of course, with that then comes self-limiting belief, self-doubts, and all of those things that go around it. So I wouldn't say you're necessarily artificially changing your belief systems work with intention you're more becoming aware of your beliefs Uh, and that's normally the most difficult bit of the whole process you know if if you if you don't know that you have a belief i'm not worthy you know i'm not good at the job um, i'm not capable i'm not pretty enough i'm not clever enough if you're not aware that that, uh, that's a belief a limiting belief then you can't change it so a lot of the process is really just starting with the belief that you've got and then often working with it until things start to happen. And then if you like, upping the belief, does that make sense? Yeah, it it's does. a slightly long-winded answer, but it, this is one of the most um, complicated things I find with working with intention. It's the belief side. Because if you have the deep, sincere desire about the belief, it isn't going to happen. If you also say, okay, I'm going to uh, go into therapy, because that's the other way, I can go into therapy, I can work with a counsellor or somebody skilled and I can identify all my limiting beliefs and I can make myself the perfect person. But that might take quite a long period of time. So I prefer to start at where people are at at this moment and bring things into parity so that you have the deep, sincere desire and then you work back till there's the belief as well. Try to achieve that. And then once you've achieved that, often your belief system starts to change all by itself, and then you can add a layer on top of that. Does, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. It just seems that for this, this to work, you have to actually believe that it's possible. And that's, yes. that seems very important. Um, now, what, what actually happens in the brain when we start working with intentions and we set an intention? Could you talk a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the moment that you set an intention or intend for something to happen, the brain forms powerful motor representations of that intention. The motor representation is a mental precursor of action, and it's normally conscious. But unconscious motor representation gets converted into conscious motor representation, resulting in motor imagery which is the mental process, which allows the brain to rehearse what's going to happen. And this uh, mental imagery provides you with an awareness of what you intended and a conscious awareness of the need for your body to take action to make things happen. So in simple terms, I have a model in the book called the I am model, and it talks about how the mind tasks the brain, how the brain tasks the body and makes things happen in the real world. So at a mind level, You have the deep, sincere desire. You have the belief that it's possible. And the mind allocates attention and activates will. And the brain then harnesses various cognitive processes. And these include your attentional network, sorry, your attentional networks, your default mode network, um, working memory, emotion regulation, reward circuitry and habit formation. So there's a lot going on when you set an intention and, and it gets both the conscious and unconscious, but largely the unconscious brain working in quite a powerful way.
0: Very interesting. Um, so there's, I think in the book, you mentioned four different levels of intention. Um, could you maybe run us through those, those four different levels and maybe how you would apply each of these different levels in your own life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, it's amazing how things evolve when you're writing a book. I started off just with this idea of a core intention. So something which for you was a life or a period of your life changing intention. But as I delved deeper into it, it became apparent that there were actually a lot more intention forms. So I came up with the concept of a nested intention, which is an intention that contributes towards your core intention. Then I realized that there are some people out there in the world, the entrepreneurs with hairy, audacious plans who have what I described as a mega intention. So this potentially is a world changing intention. And then right at the end, I realized, of course, underneath that there are micro intentions and micro intentions are moment changing intentions or just a very short period. Uh, So. When working with intentions, you don't have to have a micro, a nested, a core and, uh, you know, a, a mega intention. Um, you you only need one of them. You might have several of them going at the same time. So, um, for instance, a micro intention might be you go into a meeting, you've got a mindset. This is going to be really boring. It's a waste of time. I don't want to be here. So maybe you might set a micro intention. you know, This time in this meeting, I'm going to get my point across or this time in this meeting, I'm going to really listen. Or this time in this meeting, uh, you know, I'm going to oil the wheels and stop arguments and keep things on track, whatever it might be. And I've seen this happening really powerfully with clients. It completely changes the interaction. So just by allowing your mind to task your brain, it's working in the background, looking for little opportunities to help that happen in the meeting. So that's the micro intention. The core intention might be um, if you're slightly older like myself that you might not want to work until retirement age and you might want to um, pay off your mortgage early give yourself choices so you might set that and all sorts of things could happen to make that happen whereas if you start micromanaging it you know I've got to get this job and I've got to do this and I've got to save x and I've got to save y you're shutting down all sorts of possibilities so that might be a core intention or To have, uh, you know, to find a partner if you haven't got a partner, you know, or to travel the world or whatever it might be. The mega intention might be one of the case studies I've got in the book is a social entrepreneur from India who wants to make clean water available to everyone. So that might be an example of a mega intention. But to be honest, the more that I've been working with clients with intentions, often it's the micro intentions that are having some of the greatest impacts because people sometimes really struggle to identify what their core intention is. Even with all the tools in the book and all the frameworks, um, getting people to what really matters to them, what they really want, as opposed to what they thought they want, can be, for some people, a very difficult process. Whereas you can get going immediately with micro intentions. So for an awful lot of people I'm working with, I'm coming to realize, that the micro intention side is as important, if not more important, actually, than the core, which was the whole purpose of the book when I started out.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I have a few questions there. So you're doing a lot of doing a lot of amazing work. You know, you've you've published best-selling books on mindfulness and now on, on intention as well. And I'm just curious, you know, what is your core intention, Juliet? Have you have you got one? And if you don't feel comfortable sharing it, that's totally, totally fine to you. But I'd just be curious to ask that.
1: So I guess um, I use micro-intentions an awful lot, I must admit. Um, But one of my core, I've got several core intentions, but one of my core intentions, if I rewind a little bit, about 12 years ago now, when workplace mindfulness was very little known, I had, and I didn't realise it was an intention at the time, but I had this strong urge that I needed to somehow act as a conduit to make mindfulness more accessible and more acceptable for a busy working population. Um, And that's what I worked at doing for, for many years and I arranged conferences and events and got people together and contributed to publications and spoken, whatever. So now I'm moving on to the intention side. So can I do the same thing for intention? So my core intention is to find ways of making intention more accessible and easier to understand and easier to work with for a wider audience. So gaining traction. And my specific audience is busy working professionals, although it's it's equally applicable for anyone. It's just I'm really used to working with leaders and managers and people within organizations.
0: No, I think it's great work that you're doing this because it's an area that there are a lot of I don't want to say charlatans, but there are a lot of charlatans out there in this area that are just saying things that might not necessarily be true. And you, you've taken an evidence-informed approach to it, and you're looking at the science. And that's just want to commend you for that. That's, that's really good that you're doing that. Um, and in terms of your micro-intentions, do you set an intention at the start of each day? And do you have a process for doing that? Do you journal in the morning? Like, How do you go about setting your, your daily intentions if you do?
1: I'm a little bit more flat. I'm somebody who's, who's not terribly rigid with things. Um, so sometimes I will set an intention for the day. So particularly if I'm going into London to do some training, there are various aspects of that, aren't there? There's the commute, there's the getting there, there's the setting up, there's the client interactions, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I will often set an intention, especially if I've got a long and complex day like that and it it might be an intention to listen or an intention to have as much fun as possible that's often in fact that one comes to me a lot you know let's have as much fun as possible and it's amazing how something that would normally grind you down or make you fed up or irritated can suddenly become something that's actually quite amusing or quite fun or quite engaging or you start to talk to people that you wouldn't otherwise talk to so it's um If it's a particular meeting or interaction or I'm writing a report or I'm writing a bit of a book, I often uh, set an intention specifically to that. And to be honest, it's whatever feels right. So I will normally set the intention and then because I've got a certain amount of experience with mindfulness, I can tune into the body fairly easily. So for me, it's does it feel right? And as you know, um, you've heard of gut instinct, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And they often call the gut, the little brain, um, the gut is the seat of emotions. So you does it feel right at a gut level? If it doesn't, then I rewind it and I refine the words a little bit, test it again, refine it, test it again. Now for me, normally second or third iteration, fairly quickly, I've, I've got it, but I know from working with people that often at the beginning, There's a fairly loose link. They can't test it to see if it feels right. And that takes a bit of work. But the more you do it and the more you ask the question, the more you start to be able to tune into what I call 3D wisdom. So there's the logic. I'm a very logic-based person. But also there's a lot of wisdom in the unconscious, in the body. And one of the best ways to tap into that is the gut instinct.
0: Very interesting. Now, you've touched on it briefly, but... How can people use mindfulness in combination with uh, setting their intentions? like is there is there anything you'd recommend in that area?
1: Yeah, again, massive topic. I've done whole webinars just on on this. <laughs> so two things I'd like to say. The first is that I think that mindfulness provides a fantastic foundation for working with intention. Now you can work with intention, without necessarily having had any mindfulness experience. But if you have practiced mindfulness, you know, even on the basis of 10 minutes a day, which is the recommendation for the workplace anyway, so even just 10 minutes a day, you will have powerfully developed networks in your brain to tune into the present moment experience and what's going on for you, thoughts, emotions, physiology. And that really powerfully helps you to work with intention. So that's number one. From the point of view of how intention can help with mindfulness, uh, Shauna Shapiro said that there were three axioms, so three key elements of mindfulness: intention, attention, and attitude. And the intention bit is often overlooked or misconstrued um, because, obviously, with a lot of the more traditional ways of uh, teaching mindfulness, you shouldn't have an objective. You should just you should stop doing you should just be in the present moment and i think some mindfulness teachers get a bit confused and and think well if i set an objective if you like you know an intention then i'm stopping what might just emerge but actually that's that's not the case so it could just be you're sitting for meditation uh you know today i'm going to do my best to notice when my uh, mind wanders and bring it back Today, I'm not going to beat myself up or get frustrated when uh, my mind wanders or when the dog next door starts barking loudly or somebody sets up a road drill when I'm trying to train. It happened to me once. There's me trying to train and they were road drilling for three hours. (laughs) (laughs) So it could just be something very, very simple. It could also be something much deeper. So the two do work beautifully hand in hand. Um, and certainly intention can deepen your mindfulness practice. If you have clear intention, you don't want to be too specific. It needs to be something big enough to allow things to emerge. Um, but if you have the clear intention of why you're practicing mindfulness, either that day or or altogether, it's, it's going to really help your mindfulness practice. And the mindfulness also helps more broadly in everyday life with intentions, because you can... Uh, at at the heart of mindfulness training is attention training it's about developing self-awareness and about managing yourself better and all of those things really help you work with intention
0: very interesting now juliet how did you get so interested in this subject what what sort of ignited your curiosity at the start
1: um i guess I started to think about all sorts of different disciplines and and discovered that mindfulness was, sorry, intention was at the heart of all of them. So, whether you believe in magic or not, um, if you strip away the myth and the ritual, it's focused intention. Prayer, focused intention. Reiki and energy healing, strip away again the procedure, it's focused intention. Uh, if you think about um, deaths and births and marriages, you know, we have different celebrations, and really it's about focusing intention. Um, so, intention underpins pretty much everything, but yet, the only books I could find on it worked very much on the basis of ask the universe and the universe will deliver without giving any explanation and i knew that the type of people i worked with were pretty skeptical and they weren't going to engage with that type of messaging of course it may be um, and there's all sorts of theory on mind and brain and it could be that the mind taps into the consciousness then universal consciousness there's all sorts of things yet to be researched but what i wanted to do was write an evidence-informed book that stopped short of going that far and just provided an evidential basis for why and how this works. And I felt that it was much needed because there were so many people who could engage with intention and really transform their lives and the lives of others, but they weren't because the messaging for them was wrong. Does that that answer your question?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In the process of writing this book and researching it, did you come across anything that really surprised you along the way that you weren't expecting like anything counterintuitive?
1: Um, I won't say I came across anything counterintuitive um, because I came to it rather than with a fixed mindset. I came with a very open mindset. Um, What did surprise me was the evidence base that's building. So there's a lot more research into this than people think and very, very broad research. Um, Now, I wouldn't say anything particularly surprised me um, there were some quite interesting this is slightly off field for exactly what the book's about about um sending distant intentions and the, some of the Lynn McTaggart work um and how just thinking something at a distance could change something remotely um so they had a whole number of people focusing you know on, for instance on plant growth, and you know the plants that have been focused on apparently grew more strongly and uh, you know, greater height, more health, um, faster growth than the plants that hadn't. So, you know, there is that, which I thought, mm, that's interesting. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that anything particularly surprised me because there are so many possibilities and, and we're only really just scratching the surface at the moment.
0: Interesting. Um, so in the book, Juliet, you talk about the idea framework. So I think it's in t- uh, identifying your intention distilling it embodying it and then taking action could mm-hmm. you maybe take us through each step of this framework and maybe how people could start using this in their own their own life
1: yeah absolutely so first step is identify uh, in fact the first and second step are the most difficult of the whole lot so the first step is to identify so you could almost just brainstorm some things. Um, that you think you want and then you go through the distilling process and there's a whole load of methodologies and I can't recommend one methodology that's right for all because everyone's different. For me personally I would sit with the intention and see how it felt and if it didn't feel right I would change the wording or the meaning slightly, test it again and just continue in that way. For other people you know the the identified part might be literally going on a meditation and entering a space and then asking the question and seeing what emerges for some people it's picture boards and again once they've randomly stuck things down there'll be something there'll be a theme that emerges or um you know something unexpected so you identify and then you refine it and distill it until it You've got both the deep, sincere desire and the belief. So that's steps one and two. E is embed or embody. I've called it embody in, 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 in the book, but you could equally call it embed. So this is really just being vigilant for opportunities that will lead you towards this intention happening. Often, to be honest, it's happening at an unconscious level and you're not even aware that you're picking up on these things. Things just happen. But it's the bit where you walk the talk. And the A is taking action. And I've got a, a favorite joke, um, w- you know, which is, um, have you heard the joke about, uh, you know, the man at risk of flooding in his house?
0: I haven't heard this. Do you want to share? Oh, it? Oh,
1: Okay. So I'm probably not going to tell it very well. It's 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 much better written in the book. But there's uh, a, a guy, you know, in, in the house at threat of uh, flooding, and uh, and basically all sorts of things come to rescue him he's he's waiting for god and you know he goes higher and higher up the house and he ends up upstairs and you know more things come to rescue him but he doesn't take it ends up sitting on the roof more things come to rescue him but no, he's waiting for god to do it and eventually he drowns and he gets up to heaven and says what the hell went on well he said well you know i sent you a person at the door i I sent you a car i sent you a boat i sent you a helicopter (laughs) you know the point is you have to take action sometimes um so often people just expect it you know to be delivered like that from the universe without taking any action so this isn't about striving and pushing and working but it's about actually taking actions when opportunities arise rather than just sitting there and thinking well it's just gonna come from heaven you know you do actually have to do something but um it's about taking the necessary action but without over striving if that makes any sense
0: definitely definitely and i do think as well that it's important to be aware that whenever you're on you are in the early stages especially of of taking action towards an intention that you value like expect it to be uncomfortable like it's going to be like you're going to be outside of your comfort zone and it's going to stretch you and i think it's just important to be aware of that firsthand because then whenever it does happen you might not freak out as much you know that's been my my experience anyway and i think that's just something important to think about um Obviously, at the minute, Juliet, we're going through some really difficult times with the coronavirus situation and everything, and I'd just be curious to ask in the past, how have you gotten through the difficult times and and what what advice would you give to people now that to help them for their psychological health during during these times if 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 anything
1: so mindfulness served me really well here because you have an awareness of where your attention is and most of the time our attention is not where we intend it to be we get involved in mental time travel and research by killingsworth and gilbert concluded that on average the brain's wandering for almost 47 percent of the day so your your mind is not where you intended it to be so one of the best advice i can give is to be in the present moment as much as you can. Now I know that sometimes we have to predict: have we got enough money to buy the shopping? When are we going out, etc.? You know, who's going to look after the kids who are doing their homework, etc.? But as much as possible, instead of time traveling into concerns about, am I going to keep my job? You know, am I going to get coronavirus? Have the next door neighbours got coronavirus? Uh, where can I go to exercise where there aren't going to be too many people? Instead, what is actually happening at this moment? Okay, I'm thinking about the next door neighbour might have coronavirus and I'm noticing that my body's getting tense and I'm starting to get anxious. Okay, notice that. Now let it go. At this moment, I'm safe. I am well. I'm in my office. I'm surrounded by my friends. I have enough food in the cupboards. I have enough to entertain me. So I guess that would probably be the thing, this self-awareness and self-management in a kindly way. So what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's my emotional state? Where's my mind gone? And just trying to keep as much as you possibly can in, in the present moment. Because the mental time travel, it's safety mechanism of the brain. It's just the brain trying to keep us safe by planning for all eventualities. But we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when we get, the lockdown is going to end. We don't know what's happening with employment. But in the meantime, the sun is shining and we've actually got a bit more time and we don't have to commute. So let's take advantage of that. And let's just worry about the future when we have some more information, because it's not going to change anything by us worrying about things. So as much as possible, just trying to be present, trying to be kind to yourself, trying to be kind to others.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's amazing to think that 47% of the time, most of our minds are wandering like that's, that's shocking. And also just about the coronavirus situation as well, like because everything has stopped or at least slowed down that this seems like an excellent opportunity for us all to work with intention and to really start working on our core intention and figuring out what we really do want in life, you know? Mm -hmm. So what would the first steps for someone be that maybe is a bit unsure about their purpose or their, you know, their intention. What, what, what first steps do you recommend for someone to start working in in this way?
1: Um, I guess start, start where you're at. So if you did have some goals and goals and intentions are different things. Um, but if you did have some goals Start with those if you can't think of well actually, never mind the goals, this is what I've always wanted. If, if it's unclear completely, maybe start with some goals and you know the goals that you've been set or goals that you had in life or goals that you set some years ago that you've never um, reviewed, and just see what's right with them, what's wrong with them, which ones still feel important, and then work and refine and change and test until you start to get something that both feels right and you have some form of belief that it's possible. Don't worry about micro-planning exactly how it's going to happen, but you do think, okay, this could happen. I have a belief it could happen. That's as much as you need. And this will feel really counterintuitive because right from early days in school, we're taught to set smart objectives, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-bound. But the problem with these goals is they're often future-focused, they're narrow, they're they're short-term, they're fixed, they're logical, and often they're externally imposed. Whereas intentions, they're rooted in the present moment. So they're starting to happen, or they are happening slowly. Sometimes it's instant, sometimes it's many years in the present moment. They're broad they're flexible they're lived every day independent of reaching a goal or destination they usually if it's a core or a mega intention they're usually longer term they're creative and intuitive and they're usually heartfelt and personal arising from deep within so it can feel really counterintuitive and people that I've worked with keep you know especially if they they're rewarded at work with their performance appraisal you know um, for meeting their goals can struggle with this because they will naturally default back to goal setting. So, you know, we have this, we can create this wonderful intention that feels right. And then they start to micromanage it and then they start to overstride and then they start to place a straitjacket on it. And you've got to just let it go, but then be vigilant for opportunities to embed it and take action. And that's the bit that people find the most difficult. So you start off just with some ideas. If, it just comes clearly to mind well i've always wanted to uh live off the land and uh you know keep a few chickens and and grow vegetables you know do you really want that or is that a pipe dream <coughs> you know testing it refining it and getting it you know how would it be what's it look like what does it feel like um and it, it's this just testing and refining process that's perhaps the most difficult, but that that's what I'd recommend. You know, if you don't know what you want, then start with your goals and work out what's right or wrong and start to see some elements emerge and just keep on plugging away at it until something comes and you'll know when the right thing comes. It'll just feel right for you.
0: That's great advice. Um, you mentioned a question at the start of the interview about um, – if you had six months to live, what would you do? Are there any other questions like that that people can ask themselves to kind of stimulate their thinking around this?
1: I guess it's, you know, if if time was no object or if money was no object or if family was no object, you know, whatever it is that kind of you think is placing constrictures on how you live your life and the decisions you make. If you can, you know, start with a question, if I only had six months to live, you know, if I was by myself, or if money wasn't an object, or if I wasn't a trained accountant, or whatever it may be, and then do the questioning from there. And often that can be quite fruitful. Or, you know, when when I was a child, what did I want to be? Now often as a child it's a complete pipe dream. But for some people at a very young age they do know exactly what they want. It's just that life bashes it out of them so that's another question you know as a child what's the want to be and why do they want to be it so for instance um you might have decided as a child that you wanted to be a doctor now is it that you want to be a doctor or is it that you want to help people and if it was for argument's sake to help people then you can start to, you know do i want to help people practically do i want to help people psychologically do i want to help people emotionally and you just Keep on asking questions and checking in with yourself
0: very interesting so if you know if you know what that kind of core intention is to help people, then you can find different vehicles towards achieving it you don 't necessarily have to be a doctor or be a yeah. psychologist or whatever that's I think that 's very helpful helpful for people. Um, I was going to ask there what what advice would you give to someone who has has an intention and they're just sitting there and they're procrastinating and they're not actually taking action <laughs> on it?
1: Procrastination, yeah, that's, that's something that we uh, do an awful lot of. Um, um, also, yeah, pro- procrastination. So often it's a common form of procrastination is just waiting for the time to be right. Um, but the fact is that in reality, the time may never be fully right. And now is actually the only moment that you have. In reality, the rest is, it's mental time travel. So just take one small step that takes you in the direction of your intention. And this can get the ball rolling. Often that one step is the hardest.
0: That re- that reminds me of, uh, there's an author, you, you probably know him, a guy called Mark Manson, and he has this like backwards law of motivation. So he says that we, by default, we think the equation goes, like, first we need to be motivated and then we take action. Whereas more often than not, it's that we take action, then we get some feedback, then that motivates us, and then we keep taking action. So often the first step is just to do something, you know? Um, What I'd love to ask you now, Juliet, is, so the weekend university, for some reason, um there seem to be a lot of people in our community that are going through some kind of transition in life. They're changing career paths. They're trying to figure things out. Um, have you ever been in a position where you've, you've made a big change in your own, in your own path? And if you have, would you have any advice for people to better navigate that change? And yeah, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah several times I've made fairly big changes Um, and one of them of course is going from corporate world to self-employed world and and writing and such like. Often it's the thought of doing it rather than the reality that's the problem. Um, In mindfulness you know we talk about thoughts not necessarily being facts they're simply mental events they come and go like clouds in the sky. So I think it's being very clear on what you want. So Clear intentions rather than fuzzy intentions. And, you know, recognising some of the thoughts that you're having about this. And and if you can learn to do this objectively. So I am having this thought. And when I have this thought, my shoulders tense and I clench my jaw. And actually my stomach starts to, to, to feel a bit jittery. Okay, but that's just a thought. Look at the power that that thought, something that isn't actually happening, is having. So, if you can start to brainstorm, um, for want of a better phrase, your thoughts and then notice, try to tap into emotions and physiology as well. If you can't do it, you can't do it. But if you ask the question, you'll be surprised at how much you start to notice. Your brain starts to adapt and starts to notice. And that will give you the information that you need to get started. Um, But the, the main thing is having a clear, intention about what's important and then being not too rigid about how you get there Um, very often life will take unexpected turns when you set an intention um, and you might end up getting things in ways that you just couldn't have anticipated so not being too rigid and too planning of exactly how you're going to get there setting an intention but holding it lightly
0: that's great advice now when you actually were making that transition from the corporate world into being self-employed what were the practical things that you actually did? Did you have a plan beforehand? Did you, you know, what was your, how did you set that up for yourself? Did you just completely quit and jump into it? Or was it like a more steady transition out of it?
1: Oh, no, I'm, I'm afraid I am somebody who's probably a fairly, I do a lot of, I do do a lot of thinking. I don't just throw caution to the wind. So, no, I had researched, you know, what I wanted to do, what the offering was, if there was a market for it, different forms of company, getting things set up, websites And I had a transitionary period where all of that was happening. Um, But I also didn't get too fixed, you know, about exactly what it was going to be. So obviously I needed, in order to transition from corporate world to self-employed world, um, I had to have an offering. You have to have something to start with. But I wasn't too rigid that that's how it was going to be forever. I was very open that broadly this is the area, and this was my first offering, but let's see what emerges, and let's flex and adapt.
0: I think that's probably the smarter approach. um There was a study done I think it was the early nineties, and they followed five thousand entrepreneurs and half of the entrepreneurs basically quit quit their job and started their business like just like from from scratch, and the other half would. Start their business in their spare time, so like they come home from work and they spend a few hours on it. And the success rate was something like you were like 33% more likely to be successful if um, you had started on the side. So there's a, there's a lot to be said about not just throwing caution to the wind and jumping straight into things, you know. Um, so slightly off topic, Juliet, um, a lot of our audience would be in the helping professions. So a lot of them would be you know um, psychotherapists, counselors, coaches. In that domain and I'd be curious to ask wh- how can they work with intention in their work with their clients and how can they use this what would you recommend uh, that they do to use this within their work?
1: Uh, as with all things become familiar with it yourself and apply it to yourself first and often I, in fact a lot of the time I've um, when working with mindfulness I I've been working on trainer training. I've been co-training people how to train mindfulness in the workplace and several hundred people have been trained. And often they want to shortcut applying it to themselves and they want to get straight to offering it to their clients. And with mindfulness, you just simply can't. You have to embody it yourself. You have to have experience. You have to observe your own patterns of thinking and behavior. You have to observe your own resistance. And it's much the same with intention. Um, you know if you haven't worked with intention it's very very difficult uh, to get other people to work with I'm working actively on some coaching models um, which help people to transition specifically from goal setting to intention setting because that's often very tough so corporate coaches in particular um, have a problem because people are so wedded to goals and goals of course their brain networks are saying this is rewarding this works don't mess with it no 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 intention this doesn't feel right so we're developing ways that they can start to coach people progressively away from goals and towards intentions but i guess the biggest thing i could say is you know start with yourself and probably the easiest way to start with your clients is these little micro intentions they're quick wins Although it's very tempting to go straight for the core intention, the life-changing intention, um, actually that's harder. And if you don't have experience of it yourself, it's pretty tough to work with your clients. Whereas the micro-intentions, the clients will see them working more quickly and you as the therapist or the coach will see them working. So little micro-intentions are the place probably to start first with clients.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, just a few more questions now to f- finish up, Juliet. Um, if you could plant a belief in the head of every single person on the planet, just one belief, what would that be?
1: I guess it would be intention matters. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I know it sounds cliche because that's the title of my book, but intention really does matter. And most of the time, our intention is completely unconscious. We're unconscious that we've set an intention to have uh, a bad night at the theatre because we didn't want to go in the first place, so we're looking for all the things that could go wrong and all of the bad things. Uh, Whereas if we set a positive intention, then actually, you know, perhaps the theatre wasn't necessarily for us, but tonight I'm going to have fun or I'm going to enjoy it or I'm going to enjoy looking at everyone else's uh, costumes or dresses, etc., it makes the difference so own your intention uh you know try to be clear about your intention your brain is your humble servant the mind needs to give the brain an intention so that the brain can harness cognitive processes so try to be a little bit clearer of your conscious and unconscious intentions intentions really matter
0: that's great advice um now aside from your own book which i i really do highly recommend um Intention Matters, you know, it's if you are, look, if you're at a stage in your life where you're trying to figure out what to do and you're not really clear on your purpose or or something like that, then this book is a powerful, powerful tool. And it will actually walk you through exercises you can do to get clear on that and start actually implementing it. So it's it's an amazing book. I, I really do recommend reading it. Um, but aside from your own book, Juliet, are there any other books that have had a big impact on your own life or your own thinking that you've often recommended to others?
1: That's a good question. I guess. Um, are we talking just intention or more broadly?
0: More broadly, just anything that you've found has really sort of shifted a perspective for you or you find really helpful.
1: Yeah, there's uh, a book, I think it's by Hamilton. It's The Thought That Matters, which okay. is very good. And also Molecules of Emotions. Um, Sharon Begley's The Plastic Brain. is a great book. Um, so a lot of sort of brain related. Um, there's some brain coaching books. There's, um, I'm just trying to, and I can, I've even shared the stage with this lady, but can I think of her name? But she wrote a wonderful book on um, using uh, the neuroscience in coaching. So a lot of neuroscience-y books um, I gravitate towards. Uh, Rick Hansen's lovely books, Hardwiring Happiness, that's been quite influential. Um, And on the mindfulness side, actually, obviously, there's some great ones by Kabat-Zinn. But from a practical perspective, and I'm a really practical person, so, you know, I like books that get to the point quickly. And uh, so Mindfulness a Practical Guide to Finding Peace in the Frantic World by uh, Mark Williams and Danny Penman, of course, is, is a fantastic book.
0: Brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. So just to finish up, Juliet, uh, what's your intention going forward for the next, let's say, the next three years? Like, Where do you see this work taking you in the next three years? Like ideally, where would you like to be?
1: Um, I would like to be doing a lot more work. Um, eventually training trainers and coaches to work with intention, but also acting in some way in an inspirational way that encourages the wider population to engage and understand and work with intention.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, uh, where can people find you online, Juliet? And where can people, where's the best place for people to buy the book?
1: Uh, Well, your favorite bookseller. (laughs) So it's available, I mean, dare I say it, Amazon, um, but a lot of online bookstores sell it. Um, I've got a, a widget which takes you to all sorts of booksellers. So I would just do it, just go to your favourite book selling it. Um, so, where can people find me online? Um, Aheadforwork.com, which is A H E A D F O R W O R K, Aheadforwork.com. That's got a little bit about me and what I do, it's got a bit about books. But also there's the Intention Matters website as well. So it's intention-matters.com. And uh, there's a number of resources. There's, on the Intention Matters website, um, there are a number of case studies that because the book is pocket size, I deliberately wanted it to be something that was portable that people could carry around with them. I didn't have space for the case study. So there are four very detailed case studies of people working very differently with intentions because there is no one right way to work through the idea process and different people work through it in different ways. And there are also a number of uh, downloadable resources and MP3s.
0: Great. Um, thanks very much for sharing that Juliet. Now um, you'll be one of three speakers at our upcoming online video conference a day on self-actualization on the, on the 31st of May. So if anyone's interested in that there as well, will be, um, there's information on our website, the So, Juliet, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. And I guess we'll speak again in May.
1: I'm looking forward to it. It's been a pleasure.
0: Hey, guys. Niall here again. Just one more quick thing before you go. If you're interested in getting early access to our latest psychology lectures and discounts on our live events, don't forget to go to theweekenduniversity.com forward slash podcast and enter your email to sign up. That's theweekenduniversity.com forward/podcast thanks for listening and i hope you enjoyed the show